saw the bed bro and the end and moral to that story is don't go to the wedding and have shots oh hi Mm. didn't see you there this is everyone dies in sunderland a podcast about growing up terrified in the 80s and 90s i'm claire robinson and with me this evening is gareth alexander former dvd review of the sun that's the newspaper not the celestial body hello and as always he's best known for interviewing kevin mcleod twice one time about Bishop Auckland, resident know-it-all John Hart. I did, and the worst part of that is the second time the editors cut the bit with Kevin MacLeod in it. Interviewed him and they cut the interview. His people got in touch and said, do you want to interview Kevin again? At the exact point I was working on another property story, and then the editors were like, we don't need Kevin MacLeod. You said he was a very nice guy, though. He was a very nice guy. Any murders in a house in Sunderland or the the northeast that are sort of very contained, like a woman in a wall or something? that we can get Kevin McLeod to come in on the podcast and discuss how to reapply the render. <laughs> and he walks around at the end. It's like, well, it's not how I would have disposed of the course, of course, but you have to admire Angus's vision. <laughs> yes. Right. Timmy Mallet said no. The Queen said no. Let's get Kevin McLeod on. Yes, and the voice you heard first was the woman who, if our show notes are to be believed, used to have the nickname Chernobyl, Claire Robinson. <laughs> That intro as well that's a bit dubious yeah I mean, to be fair that is the only story about your romantic life i actually know and when we were sharing this week uh horrible things that happened at weddings and you just shared a picture of an aubergine i just thought you had a bad moussaka but that's now i've put two and two together you know the tale of that wedding it, it was a tale it, it was I a was tip. very sorry for this bit. Yeah. So, John, do you think we should potentially uh, introduce the person that we are currently traumatising? <laughs> yes, you might think that the most northern thing imaginable is my son who warmed up recently for his first cricket match in two years by having a palmo for lunch. <laughs> but um, today we are joined by Jenny from the It's Murder Up North podcast, because take two regionally specific true crime podcasts into the shower. No, we just wash and go. Jenny, we are so glad to have you with us. Not least because I've really wanted to cover this topic for so long, and we kind of need a justification to do it. So thank you so much. It's a pleasure. Before we do anything else, would you like to tell us all about your show? So my show is, it's Murder Up North, as you said, and it's all about crimes in the north of England, mainly because I live there. So I've lived all over the north of England, so why not focus on where I know? (laughs) (laughs) I noticed on your Instagram, Jenny, that it says that uh, your podcast is done with depth and sensitivity, which I don't think is any claim that could be levelled at ours. So uh, I, on behalf of everyone dies in Sunderland, and indeed everyone in Sunderland, I apologise. It's okay, don't worry. I'll bring some depth and sensitivity. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. The slogan for Durex. <laughs> <laughs> Exhibit A, Jenny. <laughs> that right. won't be good on my merchandise, though. <laughs> anyway, today show... Uh, speaking of which, it's about Arthur Hutchinson, who is sometimes nicknamed the Fox because he stinks, he eats out bins, and sex with him is agonising and traumatic. <laughs> now, we, we don't usually allow murder nicknames. It's one of our house rules on this show, because as we always say, they make inadequate wankers sound like supernatural monsters. In this case, he did give that nickname to himself, so it kind of underlines how much of a wanker he is, so we will be using it. <laughs> As I've said before, I'm all for Notorious Killers having nicknames as long as they make them sound silly. So I've got one for him, and I'm setting you all the challenge of coming up with one for him that isn't the fox. 
by the end of the show, which if our last co-record with the Old Crime podcast is to believe, you've got about four hours. <laughs> Having listened back to it, I did have to contact my ex-girlfriend to say, I'm really sorry that we kind of imply you smoke meth on my podcast. <laughs> I shared it with her and she was like, that's one hour and 40 minutes long. <laughs> four hours before I started editing it, mate. So one listener more, I bring them in. Quickly, a couple of matters arising, speaking of previous shows. First of all, in the show notes to a show a couple of weeks ago, I mentioned we do have a very cocky sparrow. We've christened Fat Mike, who sits outside our back door and shouts all day long. He is particularly noticeable in our recent Peter Main episode, which does make the whole show feel a bit like one of the old Big Brother live streams when they started talking <laughs> about the producers and they would suddenly cut away to train noise and birdsong. <laughs> and secondly, in the aforementioned the Yard Crime podcast, Gareth and Lindsay talked about how both of our national histories is condensed down to about three things. Uh, as a follow-up to that, I was in my kids' school hall to vote a couple of weeks ago, and they've got a timeline on the wall which reads Romans, 1066, Victoria, World War II, and that is <laughs> all of history. <laughs> Jenny, you're a parent. Have you missed assemblies? I haven't missed assemblies. Uh, I've not missed them. I'm glad they're back at school, though. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Claire and Gareth, you are child-free. What you've got to know about primary school assemblies is you're not allowed to heckle. <laughs> I know that now. <laughs> oh, God. You heckled small children. I'm not saying you should be allowed to shout your tits out at reception age <laughs> children, because it doesn't even make sense in a strip club. I just think a bit of audience interaction makes the show a special. And, you know, it just it shows that the talent can think on its feet, you know. <laughs> I talked it through with the teacher. We, we cleared things up. Just like we did at parents' evening when she asked if we had any questions. And I said, are you sad? Or do you just have a sad face like a basset hound? <laughs> I, I have no doubt that you said that in real life, John. That's the sad thing. This is the depth and sensitivity we have. I feel like at some point that Claire, Jenny and I are going to be sat around discussing the murder of John Bitman Hart. Yep. Anyway. With great sensitivity. With great sensitivity, yeah. Have any of you ever had a nickname? Yeah. <laughs> You'd like to tell us what it is? I was really disappointed as a child because I didn't have a nickname through all of school. My dad used to call me Ten Ton Tessie because I was quite a chunky child. Because um, I'm so hench now. And other random things were that my best friend at primary school, her dad, whenever he used to walk into their house, used to start singing, Claire, the moment I met you, I swear, bloody hell. And that became like a theme tune for my life. Dear. And then more recently, my nickname has become Robbo, which is a standard, obviously Robinson, shortened to Robbo, it's a thing. But then Jessica Johnson, one of my close friends, started calling me T-Wizzle because I'm obsessed with Taylor Swift yep. and I did Total Warrior. So she merged them together by accident one day and called me T-Wizzle and that has become my name because I also have a Snoop Dogg hat. I think like you, because I'm originally from Stockton, it just was just truncated Gareth. So my, everybody's called me Gaz. That's truncated Gareth, Gareth is a terrible nickname. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually longer than your like, <laughs> And there is the irony, John. Um, I think the only nickname that I've truly hated Ooh. was one that um, 
that someone gave me university, John. Oh yes, what was that, Gareth? I, I, would you want to tell me? No. John, for some reason at university, <laughs> and I genuinely can't remember the origins of this, rechristened me Captain Piss Wizard. And to my knowledge, I have never pissed in front of him or near him, nor do I have any magical powers, nor was I in the army or a superhero. So I have literally no idea how this came about. Um, Wizard? Captain Piss Wizard to you. It was a radio bit. Just imagine me and Gareth have been trying to be funny using our voices for a long time together. The Blue Peter Animals scandal, and we made my now wife, Constance Premier Ellie and Kemper impersonator, do a Connie Huck impression and do a bit about how we'd had to rename Gareth the oral contraceptive pet <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> Captain Piss Wizard. Okay. Yeah, we ended up. Piss Wizard. And I just want to say for the listeners, it genuinely wasn't racist before we get into it because it could be. Oh, yes. <laughs> Captain Piss Wizard. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. No. Yeah. Well, thank Captain you for reminding me. Of, of that long, long of trauma. I know I'm getting you for Secret Santa for Christmas now. <laughs> you were also known as showbiz reporter Gareth Alexander, of course. Yeah, which I, it's a sort of nominative determinism for my career after university, much like yours, John. Not quite the uh, the level of you. I haven't reached the dizzy heights of interviewing people like Fatima Whitbread. But, I haven't um, interviewed Fatima Whitbread. Uh, the only heptathlete I've interviewed is Jessica Ennis Hill, actually. Sorry. Oh, well. <laughs> when I was working in a pub, the other bar staff used to call me Fluff because of my hair. And when I said, you do know that means something else on sets of certain films, they claimed not to know. <laughs> and uh, if you don't know that, you know how you fluff pillows to make them fuller and bigger? Like that. <laughs> There was one time, and, and Claire might remember this, there used to be, in rural Durham, there was a young person's health outreach programme that used to travel around the countryside in a customised bus. No. No. Draw a blank. I thought it might have come your way. Anyway, I, I knocked on the door uh, once while canvassing for an election when they must have been in the area because a woman opened the door and said, oh, are you the sex bus? <laughs> Nickname I wish I had. <laughs> Do you want to add some gravitas to proceedings, Jenny? Because you, you must have had a nickname like the Professor or something like that because you're so good at all of this. No. Yeah. I've been Jenny Wren, which was my teacher's nicknames for me, Jenny Wren. And at work, I'm known as Peas, and it's from um, Forrest Gump because um, Forrest and Jenny go together like peas and carrots. So I'm Peas and everybody else is carrots. That's adorable compared yeah. to... Yeah, I get I get all the adorable ones. <laughs> Ooh, someone's full of herself. <laughs> so uh, you have a nickname, and there's a good story. Obviously, don't just tell us like people call me Smithy. Do drop us a line at everyone dies in Sunderland at gmail.com at everyone dies pod on the Twitter. Claire Robinson with our other socials. Everyone underscore dies underscore in underscore Sunderland on Instagram and just search for Everyone Dies in Sunderland on Facebook. Please say hello. I feel like you've got like a practiced metre and rhythm to saying that now. I like, really oh, do. One, eight one one, eight one, eight one. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only semi-professional part of the podcast that I actually contribute. Jenny, do you want to do about your socials while we're on doing things now? People can contact <laughs> you as well. <laughs> So best place to contact me is probably on Twitter, uh, Murder Up North. I am contactable on Instagram as well, but I can't remember my handle. On. <laughs> so your handle is at It's Murder Up North. 
There you go. And there you can find out all the reviews of her show and how it's done with depth and sensitivity, which I'm sure there'll be many, many one-star reviews coming your way after tonight, Jimmy. Let's say that. Just by association. Uh, better leave now. <laughs> <laughs> I was at the weekend watching Durham cricket. Durham have recently had a New Zealand batsman called Will Young on loan. He got a century. So I was there a long time with my son, just waiting for him to get out. So I could just say, I think you better leave right now. <laughs> a child who wasn't born when that was a thing. <laughs> it's a good job he wasn't playing snooker because he's colorblind. Oh, no, that's Darren. <laughs> Talent is everywhere on this podcast. Yes, so we now move on to the show where we try to remember a year of our northern childhoods. We, we started out with 83, 84, because we weren't sure what Jenny was going to pick. Then you went with 86, Jenny. So we've got, we sort of remember 1983, 1984, and 1986, even though the only one of us born in two of those years is me, and I was a baby. So strap in lads it's going to be a fun 20 minutes it's fine you can watch a lot of things on youtube these days so yeah claire you've mainly done 1986 correspondent yes i focused on 1986 because i got the memo in time to review all of my research do you want to hear a genuinely fun story from 1983 no is it your birth canal story i'm assuming you were born then no 1985 january only just I won't do it then, John. I won't do it. No, well, it's your birth canal story from 1985. <laughs> it's not my birth canal story. As regular listeners may know, if John doesn't edit them out, I'm somewhat of a obsessive about lesser known sitcoms. One of them being Up the Elephant and Round the Castle, starring everybody's favourite cheeky chappy, Jim Davidson. Uh, I just want to recount a brief story that was first drawn to my attention when the fantastic Louis Barth put it on Twitter, who is a, a brilliant TV historian, among other things, follow at Alan Kellogg's because he's brilliant. He told the story about how Jim Davidson, unsurprisingly, wasn't quite liked on the set of Up the Elephant and Around the Castle, especially by the crew. And there was one particular episode in which he had to be mugged. And so they decided to have a quick whip around and have a quick word with the guy who uh, was to mug him and say, do you just want to kind of forget to pull that first punch? And the first take came, didn't pull his punch and whacked Jim Davidson properly on the chin, which Jim Davidson got incredibly furious and started going, don't you know who I am? You'll never work in this town again. How dare you? And that is why nobody to this day has heard of the actor David Hewless. Remus Lupin. That's the one. Anything else from 1983? Yeah, let me just skip past that and pretend we leave it for another another show. Save it for another day. 84. Again, no. <laughs> I love that I suggested these two years and I've done fuck all with them. I noticed in terms of pop culture news, and it came fully back to me, there are two innocuous shows, we've talked about this before, of which I was genuinely terrified both started in 1984. Two shows, if they came on, I would run out of the room in panic and in tears. Do you want to take a random guess? I know I've left it very broad, but the most news. two shows are. <laughs> no, that's 86. Chucky? No, no, I had no problem with Chucky, to be fair. Uh, uh, both begin with an F. There we go. F. Can't even think of any kids' TV shows. Funhouse? No, I feel like that was late, na- later in the 90s. No Funhouse has some sinister twins and Pat Sharp's hair. It was not yes. Funhouse. No, it was Fraggle Rock and Family <gasps> Ness. You were terrified of Fraggle Rock? And <laughs> Family Ness. And Family Ness. 
What's family nest? It was a cartoon about some about the family nest. There was a family of nesties who live in Loch Ness, and they could be summoned by some children, and they would take part in hijinks. And all I my research today about it was that um, they all had punny names. Yes. Um, Loveliness. Yeah. Sport sportiness. Yeah, something really like worse. that. And one of them was called Sadness. <laughs> And his thing was, he used to play board games against himself, which makes me feel very seen. <laughs> he used to love that. Yeah, on, on the side from that, obviously another show from later, I think it's 1992, because it came up once, that also went with the everyone's name is a terrible pun, was of course Poddington Peas. <gasps> Don't diss the Poddington Peas. I'm not, I'm going to big myself up. This is another thing, like... This is what I'd like. It must be hell to live with. One of my favourite lies I've ever told was I managed to convince both Constance Premier Ellie Kemper impersonator and one of our friends that Poddington Peas got cancelled because they introduced a character called Ray P. <laughs> Before that bombshell, I was resisting the urge very much to do a sort of a Victoria Corin Mitchell on Only Connect and go, could everybody remember how the theme tune goes? and get everybody singing it in an awkward fashion. But um, I, don't, I don't think that's appropriate now, quite frankly. Rapey. No. So, nothing in 1984. That's fine. 1986. <laughs> got me list. I've got my book out. Do you want me to do my standard news reporting? Yes, please. Okay. So, sadly, at the top of my sheet, it now says Captain Piss Wizard. So, we'll skip over <laughs> that one. <laughs> so, in 1984... Uh, no, not 1984. In 1986... Jesus Christ, put your teeth in. Right, in 86, Jeffrey Archer, he was basically sacked for, and I've got the terminology correct this week, guys. He was sacked for having sex with sex workers in the future times. He then ended up on, is it I'm a Celebrity? Or is Mrs. ended up on I'm a Celebrity? And he became very famous again. So there's that. Jeffrey Archer ever on I'm a Celebrity? I find it hard to believe. So I'm not going to be proven wrong on this one. <laughs> Jeffrey Archer. I, I do have a biography of Jeffrey Archer by Michael Michael Crick, I think, called Stranger Than Fiction. It is yeah. really good, and he is weirdly likable. He has been proven to lie quite a lot, but quite a lot of the time the lies come off, and there's part of it which becomes really heroic. He basically made Oxfam a thing, which people don't remember. He was at the Oxford University. He basically lied his way into Oxford University. And he basically put out a press release saying that the Beatles, at the height of Beatlemania, were going to come and do a charity show for the then, the very small Oxford-based charity Oxfam. It went really big across all the papers, and the Beatles were like... This is the first we've heard of it, but we can't go out now and say, no, we're not going to help famine, actually. <laughs> so because he'd already said it was happening, the Beatles, at the height of Beatlemania, felt compelled to go and do a charity show in Oxford. And that basically made Oxfam a huge name on the basis of Geoffrey Archer just lying. It's an amazing story. And that's basically typical. Tells a massive lie and then goes and makes it true. It's really amazing. It's, it's really admirable on some perverse level. So... I was right. He did do reality TV. He did a courtroom reality TV show called The Verdict, which also starred Stan Collymore and Chris Tarrant's estranged wife. Other random factoids. So this one took me down a bit of a wormhole. So Freddie Starr. We've already had Jim Davidson on this podcast, potentially. Let's <laughs> let's not go down Freddie Starr as well. No, but this is actually quite interesting. Well, I find it quite interesting. Freddie Starr 
the son, your old employer, Gareth, yes. implied. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't imply. The front page was Freddy Star ate my hamster. Yeah, they implied he ate a hamster. Because he didn't actually eat the hamster. He actually specified, he wrote in a book, I have never eaten or even nibbled a live hamster, gerbil, guinea pig, <laughs> mouse, shrew, ball, or any other small mammal. Because some bird wouldn't make him a sandwich when he went home after his gig. So she said that he ate a hamster. Ridiculous like story. One of the most famous headlines of all time. They proved in a survey. Is it? Yeah, yeah. it's about Freddie Starr and it's complete bullshit out of every sun front page all the classics that gareth wrote over the years have been lost like tears in rain but yet yeah, <laughs> my hamster the sun offices that's the offices of the newspaper not the celestial body do have the most famous headlines printed on them rather than like call them meeting room one or meeting room two it, it's oh we're going to the freddy star room are we going to the werewolf room i can't remember what that one was i um, like the film bill that got on the poster, John, and I stand by the fact that Bill is a brilliant film. So other things from 1986, the White House farm murders. So Jeremy Bamber was convicted of the murder of his entire family because he was trying to get the inheritance from that. Oh, did he? Oh, yeah. Like, Jenny, do you think he was innocent? <laughs> the Guardian think he's innocent, and who are we to question the Guardian? They're not the same ones that um, tell us that there's going to be massive snowstorms, are they? No, that's the Express. <laughs> I think he did it. Along with the chap we're going to talk about later, Jeremy Bamber went to the European Courts of Human Rights and wanted to get rid of life sentences. Mm-hmm. You know, the whole life tariffs, he wanted to get rid of them. Yeah. So. yeah. Jezza and, uh, and the Fox, they are legally best mates. Jezza and the Fox. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, I feel like he, he took advantage of the fact that his um sister yeah had schizophrenia. I feel like he took advantage of that fact, and therefore it was planned and premeditated and cold blooded murder. He's a bad man, bad man. So there you go. That's my opinion. We've done some true crime in local <laughs> news. The Metro Centre opened, and Sunderland's Nissan plant. Oh, did that? I missed that one. Huge, huge year for the northeast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Metroland, you're with the ankles now. (laughs) I was going to say, it's never been as good as it was back then when you were like 10 and they had Laser Quest there and we went to Laser Quest for your birthday, John. Yeah. (laughs) That was only mid 20s. When when we were 20. (laughs) Mid 20s, certainly. We've all done that though. It's all right. They opened Battlezone Laser down the road. So we've got yeah, we've right. got places to relocate to. They did. We went for a concert premiere Ellie Kemper's birthday at Battlezone Laser in Gateshead a few years ago. And I injured myself trying to duck through a door that turned out to be a wall. And I had to sit out. <laughs> had some cheeky roadrunner painted it on. <laughs> it was literally like that. I was like, oh, great, a door. I'll go through here. Okay. So, Alex explain to people who aren't out the region, including Jenny, for example. Did you know, Jenny, there used to be a, a, a theme park inside the Metro Centre, but for some reason they thought, we don't need this anymore. Let's just have a big one for Devonhams. I didn't know that, no. So, you know those people who dress up in, like, full costume mm. and, like, big heads and all the rest of it? I hate them. I'm absolutely terrified of them. Mascots. Yeah, mascoty people. Terrified of them because you can't see their faces or their eyes. But my little brother, when we were actually in the Metro Centre, he must have been about five or six at the time. And there was a postman, Pat, started to approach us. And I hid 
I must have been five years older than him. So I must have been about 11 or 12. Hid behind my mom because I was terrified of the like, complete bejesus of them. And the postman Pat approached, held out Jess the cat. Craig took Jess the cat off postman Pat, threw it over the balcony and then ran <laughs> I hate those people though. They're awful. Oh. Sorry. That's you know, it's <laughs> children at the Metro Centre, they get taken by the people in the Metro Centre and they sew them into those uniforms forever. And when they approach <laughs> them, and they're like, you're like, oh, I want to cuddle. They're trying desperately to tell you that being held against their will. Yeah. I, I think what John Metro. really means is it's the shoplifters they catch and they saw them into the costume. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's, that's a bit of a joke. Then they can't steal because they've got the big costumes <laughs> on. <laughs> that should actually be a punishment. <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, right, sorry. In other news, we had Alex Ferguson began his illustrious career as a manager for Manchester United because, you know, we have to randomly have some football chatting here somewhere so John feels like he's engaging with the football audience it's Ian our biggest fan it's good to have some Man United content in from every week so we can go thinking. hey thinking of you for you Ian just for you <laughs> <laughs> and lastly from news because we'll move on to TV and music in a minute for Eurovision the UK entry was runner in the night and it came seventh which we need to give a round of applause to. It sounds shit. I've listened to it on YouTube. It's awful, but well done, the UK. We did good. It was shit. I like the way that you've separated Eurovision, which is a music contest traditionally broadcast on television, into the music <laughs> section rather than the TV and music section. Yeah. You can't yeah. pass it as music. And in TV news, it's the first episode of Top of the Pops that can be shown today unedited due to the offences of presenters. Is that true? <laughs> It wouldn't have surprised me if it was awesome. Let's move on to our favourite favorite topic, TV. On stage fatalities. <laughs> it should look specifically for an on stage fatality for every year that we do, shouldn't it? Yeah, nice 86, just Austin G. Yeah. Who? Les Dennis's uh, comedy partner. Oh, maybe. Yep. In 1984, Tommy Cooper came on stage and died. They shoved Dustin G and Les Dennis on to fill. 18 months later, Dustin G also had an onstage heart attack and died. Oh, Christ. Jeez. That's how you'd want to go as a performer. Not bitter with your legs threatening to be amputated after being hoisted out of your burning house by a uh, fireman with your toupee off. Or falling off a roof whilst trying to fix your TV aerial. That's not a way to go either. <laughs> no, that's no, not a way to go. A few weeks ago, when I claimed that Claire won Junior MasterChef in 1994, that we would bring in Katie thing. I don't recall. She replied to our emails. <laughs> the real winner of MasterChef 1994 on. And she would come in halfway to the podcast and go, you didn't win Junior MasterChef 1994, Claire Robinson. I did. And I, I was like, what was it when the last episode of Fist of Fun when the real Rod Hull oh, the came, Rod out. Hull came out. Yeah. And Richard Herring says something like, oh, it's like looking in a mirror. <laughs> well, I had to look that up and I spent about four hours watching Fist of Fun. It was so good. Oh. People have no idea what we're talking about. And surely because you grew up in the 80s and 90s, you do. I will have to put some links in the show notes to the old Fist of Fun bits. 
where Kevin Eldon <laughs> came out and was Rob Hull and demanded the funniest thing to happen in the 90s. You know what? I did forget to mention in my news. What? The Chernobyl disaster. <laughs> So in 1986, <laughs> there was this... just, just a slight thing that happened there, you know, yeah, tiny, only minor. Tiny <laughs> minor little incident. The nuclear accident that occurred on the 26th of April 1986, um, it did actually affect the northeast and quite some areas of England because I actually, um, one of the, my friends at work, she remembers the rainfall that came down that actually was affected from the Chernobyl disaster and I don't think anyone could eat sheep that year because yeah. of the grass they were eating was obviously contaminated so it did have a broader impact than just Chernobyl itself it's gonna but say yeah the problem with radioactive sheep which sounds like a, a cheap crack about the dale or just the name of a terrible punk band but yes we did really have a problem with radioactive sheep in the aftermath of Chernobyl mm-hmm. yeah. equally we, we talked a few weeks ago about how quicksand was always much more of a threat yes. um, as a child than it has been grown up. You don't hear much about acid rain anymore, do you? But no. it was in all of my science textbooks. <laughs> <laughs> See, I was born two months after Chernobyl, so oh, wow. I don't know what that says about me. I might be a bit radioactive. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. I don't remember Chernobyl, obviously, as the only person here who was perhaps in a position to remember it. But I do remember on the 28th of January, 1986, in the words of Frank Turner, Krista uh, McAuliffe gazed in horror as the O-rings failed and she died and she died and she died. The um, Challenger disaster. Mm. I do remember watching that on telly, which is probably the first thing I remember being scared by on the telly. Would have been four, mm-hmm. three, four. And weirdly in my head, I remember it being associated with Philip Schofield for some reason. Which because I he was introducing Fraggle Rock. <laughs> it was on, no, yeah, apart from Fraggle Rock. The first real thing, watching the news and going, all right, horrible things can happen, was the Challenger disaster. I don't know why I associate Death in Space with Philip Schofield. I think presumably it's because it was on news it- round. Or, yeah, I was going to say he was presenting kids' TV at the time, wasn't he? So. Yeah, so he was like, maybe he maybe the broom cupboard was interrupted by a news report, or it came on straight away after the broom cupboard finished the news. But yeah, first thing I remember was a Challenger space disaster. Wow! So sitcoms of 1986. Sorry, <laughs> Gareth, get stuck in. <laughs> nice segue. <laughs> it was a bit of a, a bleak year for sitcoms, in as much as nothing really good came out except for the second series of Blackadder. You had Dear John. Brush Strokes, The Two of Us, The Nicholas Lindhurst Vehicle, Bread. It was a very, very, very generic year for um, for TV sitcoms. Not a great year. There were certainly no men of the world. And that concludes my 1986 sitcoms. But I just thought I'd lighten the mood a bit after the challenges. Yeah. Compared to the sitcoms, I feel like kids TV had a bit of a peak because we had the debuts of the Raggy Dolls, which was a big favourite for me when I got home oh, Raggy from Dolls. Yeah, my favourite. Fantastic Neilness doing the uh, theme tune. Mm-hmm. Was it? Yeah. No wonder it was so catchy. Mm. Not Hans Zimmer. Not Hans, Not Hans Zimmer for once. <laughs> <laughs> we also had Trapdoor or the Trapdoor. However you open that Trapdoor. That's a Hans Zimmer one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, Gem and the Holograms, which you guys might not remember, but no, I do. I'm aware of Gem and the Holograms. Yeah. And then they made that shit movie in the 2000s that just didn't do it justice. We also had the, it was actually the end though, but I remember watching them. So there must have been reruns throughout the early 90s of Super Ted, 
Banana Man, Cockle Shell Bear, and Ooh, Bertha the Machine. Bertha the Machine oh, was a machine. Bertha, lovely Bertha. Yes. Yeah. So good. But they finished in 1986. They were cancelled, which I think is a travesty, and they should bring them back because now they've just got awful things on the TV. They should bring it all back. Before I um, drag Jenny into this, Nesco, what her favourite children's TV that may or may not have been from, from 1986 were. <laughs> uh, what I will say is something else that ended in 1986 was Colin Baker's tenure as the Doctor. <laughs> oh, uh, God. The, the Trial of the Time Lord both began and finished unceremoniously booting Colin Baker off the TV channels. And incidentally, going back to what you said, and which brings me back to cartoons, John Pertwee definitely played Spotty in a stage production of Super Ted. I think he's in the cartoon as well. He probably is. Really? Yeah. yeah. Did he play Spotty or did he narrate it? Or I think he just played Spotty, which seems a very low casting. Yeah. To be like a supporting character on Super Ted for John Pertwee. Hmm. He is my least well, favourite Doctor, though, so I don't really care. Ditto. Other than Carnival of Monsters and Inferno, I'm not that fussed. Oh, Inferno's good. Yeah, yeah, Inferno's good. Jenny, what are your favourite cartoons? <laughs> well, I was born in 1986, so I can't really... <laughs> don't remember any. Like... I remember Super Ted, because my big brother used to watch it all the time. Uh, Banana Man scared me. I don't know why. So I never watched it. Mine are more early 90s that I remember, like Play Days and things like that. Play Days with the creepy, ca- the creepy puppet. Oh, I'm so glad you thought she was creepy as well. So creepy. Like, like you could see all of it. Ugh. Yeah. I used to turn over when it used to be that one. I didn't yeah. like it. She was creepy. Nothing worse than finding out it was the Y-Bird stop. No one wanted the Y-Bird stop. I like the Y-Bird stop. If you like the Y-Bird stop, please contact us at Everyone Dies in Sunderland. You've been affected by liking the Y-Bird stop. <laughs> My reflection is the credits were first-person perspective of driving the play bus and, like, the steering was all over the place. <laughs> You've got to bear in mind they were driven by five-year-olds. Yeah. Or the Y-bird, yeah. of course. Yeah. <laughs> Fingers. Did you read about, and it's kind of vaguely true crime, a story about a guy who commandeered a school bus in America and said, take me to this next state. And he sort of chucked the driver out and then started driving himself. And then all the kids went up to him and were going, are you a bad man? Are you stealing our bus? <laughs> then he stopped the bus on all the kids off because they were pissing him off. So about half a mile up the road and just like, I can't even do this anymore. The kids are just driving batty, just asking him random questions. Are you going to kill us? Are you stealing something? Where are you going? Which I just love the fact that these kids are just like... We had that, but the opposite way around. The kids hijacked the school bus. It was a temporary bus driver, and he actually made the mistake of asking the kids whether he needed to go around the roundabout or go straight on. He needed to go around the roundabout, and the kids told him to carry on, and the kids just told him to keep driving <laughs> and he got to he got he got to the nearest town and he's like this doesn't look right. <laughs> and stopped and made a phone call and realised he'd driven miles away from where he needed to be. Oh my god! How old were the kids? They were in high school. Oh, okay. Don't yeah. don't trust high school kids with directions. <laughs> yeah. Eighty six other bits and pieces. So movies that I remember vividly that I didn't watch during this era but were released in this era. Short Circuit. For the Commodore 64, I had the Short Circuit computer game. And for some reason, it really scared me. I don't know what it was, 
Isn't that the one that they took hundreds of thousands of copies of it and stuck it in massive pits? E.T. That was oh, E.T. There we go. But I understand your, uh, yeah. yeah. They buried also, it all across Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. Mental. Jenny, you can see why we're a true crime podcast, can't you? Yeah. Ferris Bueller, which I obviously watched when I was a little bit older. That guy and is it- completely within his rights and definitely doing his job trying to make Ferris Bueller go to school. I won't stop saying that. Thank you. But again, a true crime thing. He got done for uh, being a woman. <gasps> Did he? Was he a Jeffrey woman? Jones, yeah. Matthew Broderick. <laughs> no, Matthew Broderick did run over people and stuff. No, I mean, oh. like in real life, didn't Matthew Broderick kill a mother and daughter in an RTA? Or I've just been Googling. No, that was... Super Ted. And now you will... it was John Pertwee, by the way. Also, Roy Kinnear. That was a very good lineup, wasn't it? Yeah. Matthew Broderick. Car crash. Car accident. Is it Ellis Then in Northern Ireland. Yeah. Learning. Vacationing with Jennifer Grey. Mm. Is it? Yes. So Mia Sarah and uh, Alan Rook are the only two actors from Ferris Beetle's Day Off who uh, don't have a criminal conviction by the sounds of things. We've looked into it, and it would appear that Matthew Broderick was involved in a fatal crash in 1987. Every day's a school day. Learnings. Um, an American tale, which not a lot of people seem to have heard of. Like, I was talking to my friends about it the other day, and they were like, what the hell are you on about? And I was like, the one with, with Fievel, and he sings, so... And he also sings, there's no cats in America and the streets yes. are full of cheese. Yes! <laughs> See, I've heard it. She knows. Why are you, my friend? First VHS I ever owned, I believe, was American Tale 2, Five or Goes to West. I think that's got quite a... Is John Cleese in that? Right, here we go again. Get on the Google. <laughs> Who that probably had a divorce to pay for. Let's find that Really good film. And I used to get all upset and then stressed when Yes, the John Cleese plays Cat R. Wall. Here we go. Yes! <laughs> James Stewart plays Wiley Burp. Jesus. <laughs> Casting is phenomenal. There you go. So that's that one. And on a final little note, because we're going to skip over some of it today, I actually never saw this film until lockdown of 2020 and the fall of lockdown 2020. But in 1986, the most horrifying film that I think any children would ever watch in their entire life was Labyrinth. Traumatic. Is it David Bowie's cod piece? It was his crotch. And the baby is terrifying. <laughs> and I only watched it for the first time as a 35-year-old woman, and I was still terrified by it. The hoggle got lost for years and sort of disintegrated and then turned up in an airport, lost luggage or something. I think that's the story. Don't hold me to that. I'd be traumatised. Yeah. It'd be like, you know, if when you buy a house, this is actually a true story and this happened to my friends. They bought a house and they were in the attic and they found a creepy motherfucking doll and it looked like it was falling to pieces. If I found Hobble in a suitcase in the airport disintegrating, I would scream and run. Hello, I'm Concert's premier Ellie Kemper impersonator and I'm here to read the disclaimer. Everyone Dies in Sunderland explores some of the darkest moments of Northeast history and includes jokes. These jokes will never be at the expense of victims or their families and will always be at the expense of people who deserve to be mocked, robbed of their power and shown off for the idiots they really are. If you're easily offended or personally connected to the events we're discussing though, you probably shouldn't listen. Arthur Hutchison was born in Hartlepool on the 18th of February 1941, making him a Pisces and empathic and caring. Russell Grant can't be right all the time. (laughs) 
His parents were Louise and Cuthbert Reardon. Now, you're probably thinking, hmm, with his parents being called Reardon, I'd have expected him to have the surname Reardon too. Would Claire or Gareth like to suggest reasons for his slightly unorthodox name? He was adopted. Not bad. Repeat the question. Arthur Hutchison's no. name is Arthur Hutchison. His parents are Louise and Cuthbert Reardon. Why the name? They hated him so much that they got his name legally changed age 10. <laughs> Weirdly, that's the opposite of the truth in his mother's case, in spite of everything. Penny, do you want to tell them what they could have won? <laughs> <laughs> so his mum had children with her husband, but she also had children with their lodger. He was called Arthur Hutchinson. Yep. Scandal. Named after his parents' lodger. So yes, Cuthbert Reardon, a regular John LeMessure, if you will. <laughs> By all accounts, Arthur was fine until the age of four when he crashed his bike into a lamppost and ended up in a coma, during which he contracted meningitis. And putting it mildly, not quite the same afterwards. And of course, that is yet more proof that if things that happen in sitcoms really happened, they wouldn't be funny at all. So I guess the earliest unfortunate incident I got Jenny is age seven when he attacked his sister with some scissors. Yep. And it's pretty much downhill from there. And by his late teens, he developed two hobbies, karate and statutory rape. The latter, which led to an indecent assault charge at the age of just 11. One of those hobbies did at least lead to a brief career fighting kangaroos in the circus. Right. Okay. What I'm going to say now is that this should have been an episode of The Unbelievable Truth, where you did all of Jenny's stuff, but mm -hmm. slotted in a few, like, lies, so the opposite of the unbelievable truth, to see if she would notice. And I think that fighting kangaroos in the circus is the truth. <laughs> According to Arthur Hutchinson, it's the truth. Right. She does tell some <laughs> magnificent lies, as we get to you later. So, yes, if we're right, an Arthur Hutchinson truth. Um, He's a regular Geoffrey Archer. Mm -hmm. In between sentences, his jobs include a milkman, farm labourer, and killing chickens. And he was the <laughs> second wife at the Abattoir Christmas party, where he seduced her by staring at her for two hours without stopping. Clearly developing those skills for his future crimes, yeah? We I mean, don't knock it, it worked. <laughs> is, once again, is, it, is that true? Or is that literally a trait of a fox? Is it true that foxes stare at their mates for I can't two remember hours it's, to it's, seduce them? It's like, I think it's, it's Jenny's or another podcast. There's, they've got a clip. I think it's possibly they walk among us because they tend to have more sound clips because, you know, he pays for ITN and stuff. So he's, yeah. he's got all the fancy clips. He's got the and money. He's got the money. <laughs> and... Um, there's like a sound clip of his wife comes, his second wife comes in and goes, oh yeah, we were at the Abattoir Christmas party and he stared at me for two hours without blinking and he didn't take his eyes off me. I was flattered. We got married shortly afterwards. <laughs> I mean, this episode is already confusing me. I'll be honest. <laughs> I don't know whether you're referring to the fox, an actual fox, Dr. Fox. He's not a real fox. <laughs> <laughs> After being released from prison in 1974, he lived with his brother Dino. Dino asked him to pay some rent. Arthur reacted the same way anyone would and tried to kill his brother by shooting him off his motorbike. Wow. It's really nasty that he tried to kill his brother Dino because Dino only has nice things to say about him. women queuing up at the allotment and that's true <laughs> they were queuing up for the eggs from his chickens <laughs> <laughs> 
While in prison, he became obsessed with a news story about a woman who had recently had a sizable divorce payment on release. He immediately went to find her, presuming, I guess, that she must be keeping all that settlement in a Scrooge McDuck-style money bin. I don't know. Um, and despite being a criminal mastermind, once again found himself under arrest, this time for theft, burglary and rape in the summer of 1983. Now, I'm sure you can all remember the show Prison Break, when that guy has the, the plans for prison tattooed all <laughs> over his body so he can escape from prison. Yes, I do. And you had like Shawshank Redemption with all the, you know, tunneling out of the prison with a spoon and mm-hmm. you know, crawling through sewers to freedom. Or even the greatest prison escape movie of all time, um, Escape to Victory, where Sylvester Stallone, Michael Caine and former Ipswich midfielder John Walk escaped from the Nazis uh, during a pitch invasion at a football match. <laughs> Love that film. Less, less so, but... Do we all know how Arthur Hutchison orchestrated his own prison break in September 1983? Did he pretend to be poorly so the guards let him out of his cell and just sort of make a run for it? That's not far away. Really? Oh, Christ. Jenny? So he was in the courthouse in Selby, asked if he could go to the toilet, so they let him go. And whilst on his way to the toilet, he found an empty courtroom with a window open and jumped out of it. Oh, he's copied that off Ted, Ted Bundy. Ted yeah. Bundy. Yep. Yep, they left him unattended near an open window. <laughs> You'd think they'd learn. Uh, but was he caught by the valiant traffic police like Ted Bundy was? No, not even that, in fact. Um, uh, it was on the ground floor, at least, so he did badly cut his leg as he jumped out before running off down Selby High Street, which, of course, probably means the people of Selby saw a man jump out of a window at the police station, then run away while bleeding heavily. And they were like, meh. Uh, a couple of days later, he did get medical attention at Doncaster Hospital, when in spite of that whole manhunt for the escaped prisoner with the leg injury thing, the staff were like, yeah. <laughs> this is a theme, isn't it? And so after almost three weeks on the run, he found himself outside the home of the Leitner family in Doran, Sheffield. That's 59-year-old Basil, who's a solicitor, 55-year-old wife Avril, a noted doctor and a cancer survivor, and two of their four children, Richard, Suzanne, Jonathan and Nicola, although Jonathan had passed away aged only two. And on the 23rd of October, the family had celebrated Suzanne's wedding in their garden. Um, Now, you can get a more comprehensive account of what went on in the house that night in other podcasts, including Jenny's. But we'll just say that Avril, Basil and Jonathan lost their lives over the course of the evening and Nicola was subjected to a horrific ordeal that would only end the next morning when men came to dismantle the marquee in the garden and found her tied up and screaming. So instead of talking about that, I thought we could maybe talk instead about the worst things we've ever seen at a wedding. Hmm. I mean, Claire's already slightly blown hers with the terrible moussaka. We assume with that emoji. Well, the moussaka wasn't terrible, but yeah... (laughs) That's as much as I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah. And Gareth, uh, you also said you have personal reasons for not disclosing your story, which is fine. But yes. right. because it was your it was your wedding, John. No, uh, your wedding was delightful and magical, and the set of nightmare. So as was yours. Well, thank you very much. That's very kind. Now I, I will say no more than being last in the queue for food and somebody taking a vegetarian option because they don't like chicken and mushroom pie. To only find out that the vegetarian option is mushroom pie. Uh, not me, friend of mine. He had to go outside for a bit of a stand. Or it was a Quaker wedding, which nothing against the Quakers, but they celebrate things in silence. So the first 10 minutes of the entire wedding were just us all sat in utter silence until somebody decided to read a speech from the uh, US drama One Tree Hill. 
And <laughs> which is a show I love, by the way. But that's the preteen version of a very, very long story. Jenny, do you have anything to match that? So, uh, my friend who probably won't listen to this show. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> She don't listen to mine either, so don't be offended. <laughs> I don't listen to this one, as I've said. It's fine. <laughs> when she was getting married, the wedding card arrived and it broke down. She got out of the replacement wedding car at the venue and the heel broke on her shoe, so she had to borrow her mum's shoes to get married in. Then at the reception, she bent over to pick something up off the floor and the back of her dress split all the way down the back. <laughs> Oh, my God. Yeah, a year later, they divorced. (laughs) (laughs) So I think there was something telling them, don't do it. Yeah, that wedding wasn't supposed to happen. (laughs) Stephen Hart is not a funny man, but my cousin, fiancé, called the wedding off at a very short notice and I hadn't been invited it was he she was with um, a French guy so my parents had gone to Paris to see this wedding that didn't happen and a few years later she was marrying someone else and uh, my dad was complaining about it and he went um well I went to the first wedding and even the groom didn't go to that one (laughs) (laughs) that's not what I was planning on saying we we had a family wedding uh, in which one of my cousin's wives deliberately broke my other cousin's arm in a door because she thought they were flirting as he said to me about the incident ah yeah she really fit and all but she's my cousin (laughs) such a classy family such a classy family it's been awful the last 18 months you know not being able to see them now of course there was some decent police work on this one Nicola's description of the attacker was so good that police recognised Hutchison almost immediately and she was able to give what the documentary What Life Means Life called terrifying details of the events she told police that after slaughtering three victims the murderer had calmly drunk from a bottle of champagne and helped himself to food in the fridge we did see some cheese with, with bite marks in now that was very unusual most people don't bite into a cheese in the way that this was. Most people don't bite into a cheese the way this was. <laughs> oh, they had to find him. Now, he evaded the police by keeping on the move, walking between Scarborough, Manchester and York, and eating by breaking into allotments and, in his own words, munching on potatoes, stealing cabbages, things like that. There was obviously a lot of press coverage relating to possible sightings, leading to Hutchison calling up the Yorkshire Post to clarify he'd never been to Worksop, actually. And sadly, this wasn't his only public statement. There was also a series of tedious letters to the press in which he gives himself the nickname, The Fox, and brags about outwitting the police due to his survival skills and being a master of disguise. Now, Claire, you're the expert. Do foxes wear disguises? So the only fox I know that wears a disguise is the crack fox off Mighty Boosh. Well, of course, there's also Basil Brush. He just tries to disguise himself in, like in tweed as a country gent, which is... The inverse. It's yeah. not... Yeah. It's a ballsy disguise. I mean, either that or there's quite a lot of cognitive dissonance going on in the mind of Basil Brush. <laughs> um, oh, my God. Is that Basil Brush's, like, tragic backstory? <laughs> is that is that the reason that he shouts, boom, boom, is because he's being chased by the landed gentry and they're having a pop at him with shotguns and then he decides to disguise himself as one of them. God, I'd never thought about that before. It's actually like he's going to do a dark origin story. <laughs> <laughs> Just called Brush. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I think you need to add to that brush with death. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah, but I like it. So yes, um, if Jenny wants to do details of this disguise, because I've got sunglasses and a beard, and the beard might have been inevitable. I think that's pretty much what I got. He just grew a beard because he was out in the wild. <laughs> They wrote letters like, I'm the master of disguise. I've grown a beard since I started sleeping in the woods. I feel like that would have been more impressive if he was female. Um, but then he could have just joined a circus. Ooh, and so. boxed kangaroos. Yeah. Boxed kangaroos. <laughs> it all goes together. How old was he when he boxed kangaroos? Because I, like, I think an adult human male can't win in a fight with a kangaroo. So like, no. a, however... One kick from a kangaroo would break your legs and everything. Yeah. <laughs> Well, once you and Claire have sung Aqua, that's the Christmas special. What, are we boxing a kangaroo? Yeah. Well, you are, obviously, because you're the fit and healthy one. Yeah, but it has to be a real kangaroo. It can't be someone dressed in a kangaroo suit it can't because be that a would traumatise me. That would demean the sport of kangaroo boxing. And then we'll unmask him Scooby-Doo style. He'll be the master of disguise. <laughs> the fox. Arthur Hutchison. <laughs> This took a turn. Yeah. He did use an Irish accent when staying at a guest house in Darlington, where he left behind a tape for the police, which ended, we're playing cat and mouse, or should I say, fox on the trot. I think the, the most amazing thing about that fact is that there was a hotel in Darlington in the 1980s that still didn't have a sign up saying no blacks, no Irish, no dogs. <laughs> I think it was more like a backstreet boarding house than an actual hotel, though. <laughs> They'll take anyone, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, it's around this time that his mum uh, made an appeal for him to give himself up. Uh, but she did, during that appeal, protest his innocence, pointing out that he hates the sight of blood. That's a guy who used to kill chickens for a living and had 30 criminal convictions at this point, including stabbing her daughter and trying to shoot her son. So she's a very understanding mother. The Darlington evidence suggested that he was heading to his mother's like a crap pride the fox cub from the animals of Farthing Wood. No. It's bold, not pride, for Sorry. starters. And don't compare Bold the Fox Cub to a, a murderer, please. <laughs> You're tarnishing the memory of animals of father in the wood. Yeah. Thank you. One of them is an entertaining tale to tell to children, and the other one is the animals of fathering wood. <laughs> Claire, you've become my best friend. <laughs> well done. Oh. Right. I just meant because, like, he's injured and he's trying to get home to his mum. No. Anyway, long story short, her phone line was monitored. That's Mrs. Reardon, not Vixen. Um, at 4am on the 5th of November, uh, he rang his mum to say that he was on his way home and the fox was splendidly caught by dogs while limping across a turnip field near Hartlepool. It's not the great escape, is it? <laughs> As the police took him away, he commented, I should have stayed down my foxhole, shouldn't I? Fuck off, Very Arthur. Funny murderer. He's, he's obsessed. Why, why does he think he's like Raffles the gentleman <laughs> thief? That's why I find it so interesting. I he wrote a letter going, You'll never catch me, I'm the master of disguise. Like, admittedly, I haven't been able to shave for a few days. He's been watching these. Uh, kids tv cartoons you know with the super villain <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly he's just so crap but also thinks he's really great I and mean, that's why i just find it such an interesting story i broke out of prison yes but they left you next to an open window <laughs> it's not a shawshank redemption 
Anyway, so then to trial, um, interestingly, the first in UK history to feature a crime scene video. Quite a lot of evidence against Arthur at this point. Um, like all of the times he said, oh, it was me. You'll never catch me, for I am a genius. Uh, all the references Arthur. to foxes he made to the police after he was arrested. <laughs> in the letters, he does say that it wasn't him, which is sort of like, why would you mention that a crime wasn't you if it wasn't you? I'm just going to write to the police to say that crime wasn't me, but I am on the run. <laughs> yeah, so quite a lot of evidence against him. His blood on Nicola's sheets, uh, his handprint on the champagne bottles we heard, he was swigging from champagne, his teeth marks into the block of cheese he fit into. He's a criminal mastermind. Nicola's description and her witness evidence. He also had Avril Leitner's watch on him at the time of his arrest. But the fox had a cunning plan. He claimed, incredibly plausibly, that he'd met Nicola in the Lion Pub. And like all 18-year-old girls, she was very impressed by this 40-something rough sleeper, bleeding heavily, lest we forget. <laughs> and she was like, I absolutely have to have sex with that man. I mean, not immediately, obviously, but maybe in a few days' time at my sister's wedding. Uh, yeah, his chat-up line was apparently, all the men in Sheffield must be puffs. So maybe it checks out. He's, he's perfect time to have a so he had been in the house, yeah, yeah, but only because he'd been invited there on a booty call from some teenager 20 years younger than him. And had sex, but like a gentleman, he'd gone and slept in the greenhouse afterwards. And the next morning, he had awoken to find the family dead. He chased away the real killer, comforted Nicola, admittedly stole her mum's watch. And as for how she got tied up, I don't know, maybe she did that herself after I left, I don't know. And as for who the real murderer is, it's that guy over there in the press gallery, he did it. <laughs> Genuinely. Yep, the Fox's master plan was just to point at a random guy in the courtroom and say it was him. The him in question was Sunday Mirror reporter Mike Barron, who, like any good journo, just got out his notebook showing that he was 150 miles away on the night in question. <laughs> um, so ended the impressively ballsy gambit to just try and blame a random man in the court. Can I just address how similar, but like slapstick version, though, that the Fox is to Ted Bundy? Is the British... There's sort of the yeah the British Basil Fawlty version to yeah. to the American. Oh, if it's coming up at this point, and we've already got slapstick Bundy. Have any of you come up with a nickname for a sexually predatory milkman with facial hair, uh, an occasional Irish accent, and a fondness for calling up authority figures to brag about how awesome he is? I've gone with twat mustard. <laughs> <laughs> Me forever on this podcast. Peter Sutcliffe is the dangly willy killer. And Arthur Hutchinson is twat mustard. And of course, in despite of his incredible defence, Arthur Hutchinson was found guilty and sentenced to an astonishingly lenient 18 years, which was upgraded to a whole life tariff by the then Home Secretary, Leon Britton. He remains in prison, aged 80 to this day. And hopefully he will never be released. Nope, never coming out. Jenny, scores out of 10 for John's adaptation of your work there. And also... <laughs> What has he missed that you would feel that you would have put in? He's done oh, a pretty good job. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> he's, he's actually included bits in that I didn't know. <laughs> oh, the last thing you need is more of a fucking ego, Jenny. Come on. <laughs> Claire, just out of interest, hmm? in 1986, could he marry his half-sister or not? Oh, in 1986, <laughs> he probably could when she hit the age of 21. Even though no, they're biologically related. Because they're biologically related. Oh, yeah, because the mother. Yeah, not step. Yeah. Not step. They probably could if they were step. 
Yeah, if it was Steph, on how long they'd lived together, would have been fine. But as biologically, no, because blood in that. Because <laughs> literally the most scientifically trained among us three. She's our she's our hematologist. <laughs> and there's blood in that. Blood in that. Science, yo. Mm. You only know about animal blood, don't you, Claire? So yeah, I only know no. about animals and that. Not human blood. <laughs> if anyone's like the classic, if there's there a doctor in the house, people are like, oh, Claire, you know about biology and stuff. Can you help? <laughs> And you're like, no, it's a huge difference between a human and an ocelot. I can't help. It's like calling out the AA when you're with the RAC. I wish it was different. <laughs> we finish each show with the palate cleansing rabbit hole corner, which is a little update on places we ended up on the internet researching tonight's show, which have nothing to do with tonight's show. I know people will say that's basically the show, John. But does anyone have any of those? Mm, sort of, but not really. Go on. So... 1986 I was doing some sort of inventory of the films that were released in this year and I was trying to pick out the ones that I'd heard of but I'd never seen and then I was trying to figure out why I'd never seen them so I'm going to read you a little bit of a plot so spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't seen this film and then let you guys guess what the title of this movie might be. Can you do it in French? No I'm not doing flirty fleur sorry. Uh, if you've not listened before, John's wife sometimes reads out a plot of a, a film in French called Keller Le Film. And Claire loses, so that's why she's doing it in English. Because yes. she wants to go And don't do French. So, walking home from the hospital, he cuts through a vacant lot and discovers a severed human ear. Jeffrey takes her ear to police detective John Williams and becomes reacquainted with his daughter, who tells him that the ear somehow relates to a lounge singer named Dorothy Valens. Jeffrey and Sandy, hang on, let me finish this bit, Gareth, before you hop in. Jeffrey and Sandy attended Dorothy's nightclub act in which she sings a song, which I'm not going to name, and leave early so Jeffrey can infiltrate her apartment. When Dorothy returns home, she finds him hiding in a closet and fillets him after forcing him to undress at knife point. Jeffrey re- retreats to the closet when Frank arrives and interrupts their encounter. He then proceeds to beat Dorothy and subject her to fisting, dry humping, humiliation and sexual role play. What is the name of that film? Is it I know it. For the voyage home. <laughs> That's it. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> was that actually going to be your guess? No. Of course not. <laughs> Jenny, do you have a guess? Not a clue. <laughs> do you feel uh, like any of you have seen that film other than Gareth, who blatantly has? Can I just point out that despite Claire's description, this is a widely available film by an acclaimed director and not something that you find on the grottiest bits of the internet. Uh, it is. Gareth, would you... What? <laughs> <laughs> you call that a fist? Come <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Gareth. Blue Velvet. Yes, it is. And I was just born because I was like, how has this film been released all this time? And it sounds like something that intriguingly would be right up my alley and I've never seen it. Description aside, which suggests that it's a little bit more explicit than it is. But yeah. it is a very good film. It's a very, very good film. It comes very highly rated. And Especially has... if you fancy Kyle MacLachlan. Yeah, out of Twin Peaks, I was like, him? Bit young? Might be young. I'm in. So, yeah, so that's going to be my weekend. Thanks. Well, fantastic. Uh, <laughs> Jenny, thank you so much for giving up your time to come and join us. 
Uh, Jenny, I'm fun. very sorry that you've given up your time to <laughs> join us. You've brought a lot of depth and sensitivity. <laughs> a podcast not much. I'm so for. sorry. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us. It's been great. And do check out Jenny's podcast, all of them, but particularly this one, if you want to have a, a slightly different, in-depth, sensitive, proper take on this particular crime. Details about tonight's show can be found on Teletext page 618. And do remember, the sort of crimes we cover are very rare. Do sleep well. Don't have nightmares. We're out. Ding.